welcome to another episode of Tech Writer Voices, my podcast devoted to exploring the latest trends and best practices and all the good things about the field of technical communication that you want to learn to grow your career and to bring yourself up to date on everything. I'm your host, Tom Johnson. I'm a blogger and podcaster and technical writer based in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you're listening from another country, Salt Lake City, Utah is in the northwest part of the U.S., high up in the mountains, and it's quite cold here. All the podcasts are online at idratherbewriting.com. If you haven't discovered my blog, definitely check it out. Uh, You can download all kinds of previous podcasts. I think we're up to at least episode 80 of, of the number of podcasts. I'm also going to start doing some virtual meetings if I can figure out how to do them. Um, I volunteered to be my chapter's virtual meeting facilitator. So uh, in the future, what I hope to have is some more audience participation, interactivity during the discussions. Haven't quite figured out the best service for it that will that will allow me to do it to do it completely free and have good audio quality. So if you have a tip, let me know. Or if you want to sponsor it, let me know. I do have one item of news. One thing you really should check out if you haven't heard about it already is the new Content Wrangler community on Ning. And Ning means peace in Chinese, in case you're wondering. So go to thecontentwranglercommunity.ning.com and check it out. It's a social network for technical communicators, just kind of, just like Facebook is for a lot of other other groups. Ning is incredibly easy to use. If you want it to use it as a social network for something else, it works really well. Uh, I've been playing around with it and have been impressed. But it's fun to see all the pictures of the technical communicators in there. Sometimes I think that everybody has heard of this blog and podcast. And then I was looking through the directory, trying to add as many people as I recognized as my friends to my page. And I realized that I probably only recognized one in 20 people in there. So, um, yeah, definitely add your add yourself to the contentwrangler.ning.com. Search for me, and if you want to make my day, add me as your friend. I also created a podcasting group in there. So if you search for podcasting in the groups, you can add yourself to it. I am going to be giving some upcoming training on podcasting and blogging. So if you're interested in learning more, about how to create podcasts or how to how to do WordPress blogs, the self-hosted kind. Let me know and I'll give you some more details. This is part two of my podcast with Teresa Putke. Last time we talked about how she tackled this giant Godzilla of a project, converting thousands of topics written in RoboHelp over to Flare and then making them searchable to users in, in one aggregated search adding keyword concepts to to facilitate the search, using feedback server to refine and and learn more about how users are searching and using it. But in this podcast, we're going to talk about usability, specifically how she transitioned from technical writer to usability consultant, what's involved in that, and how you can move in a similar direction. She happens to specialize in information architecture, which is just one branch of the larger umbrella field of usability. Before we get into the podcast, I want to mention a couple of sponsors. First sponsor is Madcap Software. They've just released four new products, so check it out. I think 
Maybe that brings their total number of projects, products, up to at least 10. But Blaze, Press, XEdit, and now Team Server are all new releases from these guys. Team Server really looks interesting. It's a new content management and team collaboration product, soon to be available. So a lot of these are, are entering beta, but they're really an innovative company that is just pressing forward even farther. Sorry, even further. I hope you all caught me on that one. Into, into creating a complete authoring suite for the technical communicator. They, they want to approach the entire workflow. We're also sponsored by Adobe. One of Adobe's newer products that maybe you haven't heard of is, is Adobe Connect, which is a great conferencing solution that allows up to 15 people to get in a conference as many times as they want and share a screen, uh, do a software demo, um, do a conference call, whatever, everything at once for $39 a month. And I've tried it out and I am impressed with it. If they allowed me to record the conversation, I would have used that for virtual meetings. But alas, that feature is part of the pro version, which is a lot more expensive. But Adobe also released an Air platform for RoboHelp. This Air platform compacts all the files into one file, enables comments, and has a cool-looking skin. So definitely check that out if you're a RoboHelp user. The TechCom suite gives you Captivate, Frame, RoboHelp, and Acrobat, all for a pretty good price. Now, before we jump into this, the second part, I'll just uh, repeat where we are on the web. I'd ratherbewriting.com. If you have comments, send them to me at tom at I'd ratherbewriting.com. Check out Teresa's site at keypoint with an E after the T, dot CA. And you can also contact her using the contact bubble on her blog. Um, I was going to, I wondered if I could ask you some questions about usability because you gave a presentation last year, I guess at Doctrine, I somehow missed this, but moving from technical writing to technical, or moving from technical writer to technical communicator, and you're you published an article in Boxes and Arrows about your first steps towards usability. I was wondering if you could tell me about your first project where you where you began to contribute towards usability. Uh, funnily enough, it was also at Meridian. So I was working at Meridian from 99 till uh, 2005, maybe. I've been on my own for three years, so... Um, I was doing the technical writing at Meridian, and I was doing it for Prolog, and that's what they considered to be their legacy product. For ProLiance, it was a new product, and they had their requirements analysts and their graphic designers, and um, the graphic designers were the usability people, um, and they they decided that with Prolog, they were also going to try and go the same way and have requirements and the UI design before they um, before they started coding anything, and already I had been telling these guys, you know, this is this UI is really bad. Like, I don't even know how you could have thought of this. Um, of course, I said it nicer than that. Like, this is a good first attempt, but if you really want to do it well, <laughs> this is how you can do it. Uh, so when they wanted to go prologue with uh, requirements and usability, they didn't have anybody to do it, and I said, well, I'll do it because. Um, that's something I'm interested in. And since it was a small team, they said, that's great. And I got along with everybody. So that's how I started doing the usability stuff. Um, started designing the UI and writing the specs for it. And then also doing the technical writing at the end. 
so yeah, I just kind of got tired of doing the technical writing that cleaned up the bad uh, design that nobody read anyway. So um, that's how I started it. And um, yeah. One of the things that I often hear from different people is that that in a really well-designed application, you don't need a help file. And this is something that Jared Spool commented on in an article. He thinks that the more intuitive the design, the less you're going to need a manual. And eventually, a really great design will do away entirely, and you won't even need uh, any kind of help content. What do you think of that? I say he's dreaming. <laughs> um, I think that most software companies don't um, program in ideal worlds, that most companies struggle with usability, um, that most of them are probably controlled by their product managers and the developers, and the kind of things happen. Um, I don't think that technical writers need to be the cleanup people. I think that they can contribute in terms of being the usability person. I think it's a natural career transition, but also I think that um, for applications, especially like Prolog and ProLiance, there's, um, you know, the help systems, they had a lot of procedural stuff, but it was also a ton of background information that, um, you know, if your company does things this way, then you'll need to use the product in this manner. And if they do it in this way, then you use this other way. So even though a product is intuitive, it doesn't mean that people don't need to learn things about it that they cannot see in the program. Um, so I think that when you're talking about industry-specific software that is quite detailed and is a large application, that you um, you need supporting information to help users learn, to help your support team understand uh, what the program is supposed to do versus what it's actually doing. Um, and, and I find that, I guess, um, a lot of times I read those articles too and I worry, oh, am I going to be out of a job? But most companies just aren't that great, you know? They don't make good products or they make good products, but um, they just don't work that well. Um, so... While technical writers don't need to be the cleanup people, they can contribute in terms of usability and background information as well. And I think that's where the more challenging work is anyway. One of the things you've been touching upon is search. And when I think of usability, I usually don't think immediately about the search. I usually think about the interface and maybe the process to complete tasks. But... If technical writers want to take a first step and try to make the search more usable for the user, would you recommend any techniques for that? Um, I had a conversation with a guy at Adaptive Path had a seminar here in town in November, and this is while I was doing this project, um, and I was talking about the searching and in Flare, it's kind of like search engine optimization. In Flare, you... Um, the, if you tag something with a concept keyword, then that brings it up higher in the ratings when you search on something. Um, so if it's tagged, it's higher in the rating than if something's not tagged. But um, uh, 
So with the ProLiance Health System, they, when it was in RoboHealth, it had 2,000 topics, maybe 2,500 topics. And then we added all of the knowledge-based items and all of the technical bulletins and white papers and all of that. So you're talking maybe like 3,000 health topics. Um, I guess search doesn't need to be such a, like the number one usability choice. Um, I would say that if you want to enhance search in Flare, you should use the concept keywords and the um, related topics and the see alsos to bring them up higher in the rankings plus the synonyms. But then if you can, even if you want to, oh, so this guy was telling me that I should rely on browsing in the table of contents, that users should be able to find their information in the table of contents. And if they can't, it's too complicated. And I said, well, that's great if your help system isn't that big, but we're talking like 3,000 topics. There's no way somebody's going to be able to browse through that table of contents and find everything. Like, it's just physically impossible. So we disagreed. He thought I should go with browsing, and I thought I should go with search. Um, but you know what would have been really cool, which I didn't have access to, was that, um, you know, getting users to do card sorts with the topics or the features in ProLiance, telling me what they would actually call it versus what is labeled in the UI, um, doing a whole bunch of those, because there's a big user base, right? Um, so doing a whole bunch of those in different companies and then putting out a table of contents that was related to that instead of what I thought the table of contents should look like. Um, so I don't think search is the end-all and be-all of, of usability for health systems, but I think that access to users and to getting them to uh, do card sorts and focus groups and stuff is really limited for technical writers. I'm curious just to hear what your thoughts are on comparisons between being a usability consultant versus a technical writer. A lot of people in technical writing just kind of think that it's a transition onto something else. And clearly many people make that path, whether from technical writing to usability or technical writing to, to a business analyst or project manager or QA or something else. Do you enjoy usability more than you enjoy technical writing? Yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> because I found that a lot of the technical writing I was doing was explaining to people um, why something didn't work the way you expected it to work and how it actually worked. Um, and a lot of it was getting a design in front of me that's already been coded and then saying, this doesn't really work because I just can't explain it. Um, I'd say that, so I was a technical full-time technical writer for like five years. I would say that three and a half of those years was just correcting people. And I don't really enjoy that. Um, also, I'm not a very detail-oriented person, so I prefer the more high-level work. Um, when it comes to the writing part, I can write, but then editing it and doing index entries is not something that I enjoy. Um, so I think... Um, for me, because I liked the more high-level work, the looking at why users wanted the information, what they would be doing with it, how you can help them out in the UI, um, how you can give them better access to the help. That was more interesting to me than writing about how to use the product. But um, I also think there's this thing where people think that technical writing can't be a career in itself, that you have to transfer 
transition out of it. But, you know, some people really do like technical writing and they like doing all of the, um, the, what's it, the planning around it, um, interacting with developers, writing about how it should be, doing the editing, the detailed work, publishing things, learning new software. Um, so I don't think that you have to transition out of being a technical writer. I think that it just, what your experience has been should dictate what you want to do. For those people who, who do want to move in that direction and, and do more usability, um, in fact, I, I once interviewed Karen Bachman on a podcast about usability, and it got tons of hits. So I know that there are a lot, or tons of downloads. I know there are a lot of people who really want to move into usability. But to be really somebody who's more than just someone who's giving usability suggestions, but actually designing interfaces, don't you have to know quite a bit about graphic design and like JavaScript, know Photoshop and CSS and Flash very well? Um, this is something that I wondered about as well. So when I started as a contractor slash consultant, um, I was a technical writer, and I wanted to move into um, usability, and I through the Information Architecture Institute, I got a mentor, and so we discussed, you know, what is usability, because it's such a catch-all phrase. Um, so I started looking at all the job descriptions for uh, that might fall under usability or user experience, and there's so many things that you can do for usability. It's kind of like you're the Leonardo da Vinci of usability if you, like, say that you're user experience. So um, for me... I uh there's a couple things, right? There's um there's interaction design, which would be designing interfaces, making wireframes. Um there's also graphic design, which is doing all the um the I guess the graphics to make the wireframes look good. And then there's the the programming that you might need. Um you could be a web designer slash programmer so you might need to know JavaScript and stuff like that. Um, but then there's also the information architecture side where you're not actually designing interfaces. You're designing, like, information spaces, I would think. Um, and I think for technical writers, the information design and the architecture, laying information out, doing the navigation, um, uh Making it so people can find information that might be more appropriate than than getting into the UI design. So, even though when I was a technical writer, I did UI design, um, and I would you know take a screenshot of something and cut it up and then do something with it in Photoshop and then send it for review. Uh, that wasn't really the thing I liked the best. And even though I still do interaction design and make UIs and have these really detailed conversations about, like, when you click this link and there's no information there, what happens? Like, I don't care. I just want to do the information side and the information architecture side. So there's actually a few different streams in usability that you can go into. So um, it's not just about how the UI works. It can also be about other things, too. So I would say look at all the job descriptions that are out there and their titles, and then go from there. I wouldn't go from, oh, I'm a usability person, because that's too broad. You can't be good. Now, aren't you going to the Information Architecture Institute conference or something in Florida? Do they have a a similar organization, kind of like the STC for technical communicators? 
Um, I don't think so. I think they're right. Well, there's the content management professionals. Is that what you mean? Or is this for... No, I was just wondering if... Like people who want to become information architects or move into usability, can they join a local group of usability people? Or is it something that doesn't really have specific uh, organizations like the STC? Um, I don't know if the IA Institute has specific chapters. I've never seen one in Vancouver. Um, But there's also like the IXD interaction designers group there's the human factors group i think it's human factors um vancouver has the vancouver user experience group they call van Uwe, and um every month they have a networking event uh, a learning event and yeah so that's pretty cool um you can meet a lot of usability people that way and um when i started making the transition from technical writing to usability or information architecture, um, I would just meet people and ask them for informational interviews, ask them what they did for a living, um, you know, what kinds of deliverables they did, how they had to interact with other people, if they knew anybody else I could talk to. Um, Yeah, I think... Well, that's exciting. You're going to be in Florida then. So you're going from Vancouver to Florida. What city in Florida? Miami. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I was on the other side, Tampa, but I've since moved to Utah, so I'm not even there anymore, oh. but I'm sure you'll love it. Well, is there anything that I haven't really asked that you want to touch upon, or do you have any concluding thoughts? We talked a lot about uh, RoboHelp and mm-hmm. Flare and your your project at the start, like your Godzilla project, yeah. and but then we transitioned into usability. But do you have any thoughts on either of these topics um, that you want to? Uh, in terms of, uh, I was doing a presentation at the Douglas College yesterday. They have a print futures program for all those people who want to become writers, and they were asking me, you know, what should I do? Should I be a technical writer? Should I choose a specialty? And, uh, and my response to the guy was, I think you should do whatever you want. So, in terms of being a technical writer or usability person, you know, what do you have to learn? For me, um, I don't want to learn Java, and I don't really want to learn XML, and I don't want to learn all these graphic design programs, so I'm not going to call myself like a interface designer, even though I do that, just as wireframes. But um, I'm trying to focus on IA stuff, but in the meantime, to get enough experience, you know, I've got to do all kinds of usability stuff. Um, so I would say for technical writers, they should choose what fits them, and then go from there, even if it's still technical writing, um, just make sure they get paid enough. And uh, the other thing is that for the uh, Flare project, the moving from RoboHelp to Flare, I think that one thing that really helped with the success of the project was including everybody in the loop, making sure the teams were all on the same page, communicating regularly with each other, I know sometimes you know, technical writers have this bad rap for not being communicative, even though we are communicators. So I think that the onus is on technical writers and technical communicators to communicate and really over-communicate because if you communicate too much, at least somebody can't say they didn't know. Um, so building relationships is the key that made this project successful. And if we hadn't built relationships, then 
we wouldn't have found out that support the support team was trying to redo their support link and we would never had a project. So, yeah, I'd say build relationships in your company and you'll be more successful. So th- that's interesting. Now, I just want to ask you one follow-up question on this because I, I was reading your, your about page and you say you have a, a background, you studied comparative religion and you, you really try to emphasize collaboration and team building and communication and in fact, I think the subtitle of your presentation at that, the last conference was Breaking Down Silos mm-hmm. or Moving Away from the Silo Model. Right. So now I readily admit that many times the support department and the marketing department and the tech comm department and like the development department, they're, they're different entities. How, how can you bring them together? How can you break down these silos? Is there any kind of thing that you do? Uh, in my situation, um, I had worked in, so when I started from Radian, I was working in their tech support department, and then I moved to their technical writing department. Um, so I actually knew some of the people still there uh, about maybe eight years later. They were still there working in support. Um, so it was a bit easier to uh, continue with relationships that I already had. But, um, you know, if you don't have that background, I would say that talking to people by the water cooler is just as good. Um, you know, building friendships, asking people about themselves. When I was a teenager, um, I wasn't really good at making friends, and my parents sent me to uh, a psychologist to tell me how to make friends, and he told me that the way you can get people interested in you is to get them to talk about themselves. So... Um, yeah, making friends is just all about getting people to talk about themselves. And then once they find you interesting because you've asked them about you, then they'll ask you about uh, they'll ask you about yourself. And you can tell them, you know, what you're working on, what problems you're having, how you really wish you could work with them better. And you know, people if they don't need to do documentation, they're all for that because they don't really like writing. So they don't really like man- maintaining their own content and, and files. So make friends. Make friends with people at the cooler. Ask people for lunch. You know, say, hey, I don't know you. Do you want to go for lunch with me? But that's what I would do. Well, that's that's really interesting. It's like a paradox. So you get them to talk about themselves, and in so doing, they begin to like you, huh? It totally that's... is, and it works. I've been doing it ever since. And, yeah, if you ever feel that attention is waning, you ask somebody about themselves, and they'll get right back into the conversation. So, yeah, it totally works. <laughs> Well, Teresa, thanks so much for talking with me today. This podcast has been really excellent. And, um, um, Thank you. Yeah, I hope to see you. Am I going to see you at the Doc Train West conference? Are you going to be there? Yes, I think I will. Yeah. Okay, I will, yeah. I will try to find you. <laughs> yeah, we'll make a point uh, of saying hello. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Tech Writer Voices. We're on the web at techwritervoices.com or idratherbewriting.com. It's the same site. And maybe one of these days I'll change the name from Tech Writer to something else. If you have a good suggestion that's catchy, let me know. I'd love to hear feedback. Just let me know that, hey, I listened to the show, I liked it. Or, hey, I listened to the show, you really have to stop doing such and such because it's bugging the heck out of me. Or whatever you want to say, send it to... Uh, Tom at I'dRatherBeWriting.com. You can also now follow me on Twitter, 
twitter.com slash tomjohnson1492, the year Columbus sailed the ocean. Notice I didn't say blue. But, uh, okay. Finally, you can also check out Teresa's blog at keypoint.ca, and the link is also in the show notes. You can contact her there. I'm sure she would love to hear what you thought of her advice about usability. Finally, I'm going to be starting up a some training on WordPress blog. So if you're a blogger, if you want to move into WordPress and you want to get a better grip on everything, let me know. And we're going to really um, push that later. Because I think really if you, if you want to position yourself as somebody who doesn't just throw out little ideas on a freely hosted blog, but as, as a professional blogger with engaging, intriguing content, you need to know how to host your own blogs and how to manipulate them and set them up so that they look professional. Anyway, more on that later. If you have a suggestion for another podcast, let me know. I'm, I get suggestions quite often and I often pursue them. I'm always looking for people who are interesting to interview who have interesting topics. So until next time, we'll see you online.